Hey folks, it's Nick back with you on Rhetorical Questions with me. Hey, it's been a while, I admit. Good to be back with you. Very happy to be here. Lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, first of all, we are in uh, March 2021, and today I am drinking a Lumberyard Brewing Company out of Flagstaff, Arizona, Railhead Red. Um, I do like to keep my, my drinking local on the show, give you a little review of some local beers. Hope you're enjoying a cold one right now, whether a beer or a cocktail, a soda, whatever. This is a nice beer. And I'll tell you the reason why I was looking for this beer. I was actually looking for a beer by Ninkasi Brewing, which actually happens to be out of Oregon. So I changed my mind on that. But the beer I was looking for was called Dawn of the Red. Also a red ale, clearly. Really, really good, one of my favorites. And its cover art for the beer is uh, kind of a reference to Dawn of the Dead, the George Romero film that was remade several years ago by, I believe, uh, Zack Snyder, who is one of the topics of today's show. So instead of going with Dawn of the Red, I went with something local, and I went with this Railhead Red. Very good, I think it's worth seeking out. If you want a good beer from Arizona, there are lots to choose from, including this one. And if you're ever in Flagstaff, Arizona, highly recommend going to this brewery. Recommend going to a Beaver Street Brewery. Really, really a great place to go uh, up in Flagstaff, amongst many other cool things about that, that area. So I mentioned Zack Snyder. I'm going to admit I'm not much of a fan. Didn't really care for Man of Steel. Didn't really care for the Justice League, which I know is an unfair critique since that film was kind of mired in, in lots of disasters. The director's cut actually made me rethink my view of the film. And I'll admit, I do like the director's cut, despite its very, very lengthy running time. I think it's over three hours long. But, you know, during pandemic, when you're at home, why not? Why not sit down and, and watch a three and a half hour super, superhero movie? So anyway, uh, my experience with Schneider, uh, a couple other things that I've seen of his, I think he did an X-Men film a while ago that I wasn't crazy about. And I think a lot of his stuff has lots of potential. Even Man of Steel, I believe it had lots of it, lots of potential. It just didn't quite live up to what I was looking for. I ain't mad at his fans though, They're, that's fine. I, I'm not gonna protest anyone who likes him, but I will say this, Army of the Dead, his latest film. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I am a big zombie nut for some reason, and that might be a topic of another show one of these days, why zombies are so damn popular and why they continue to endure from Night of the Living Dead through Dawn of the Dead, City of the Dead, um, The Walking Dead, obviously, and on and on and on. Uh, zombies have just been with us for, you know, 50, 60 years and they don't seem to flag in popularity, and I don't know what the exact reason is for that. I don't even know the exact reason why I am attracted to the zombie genre, but I did watch Walking Dead fairly religiously for seven or eight years. Finally lost interest in it when um, the sheriff was, was removed from the show, and I had been losing interest even prior to that, but finally lost complete interest. So I haven't watched it in a couple of seasons. I did also watch Fear the Walking Dead for quite a while. Enjoyed that, but I just 
I forgot about it from week to week, and that's not a good sign for a show. So I don't know exact reason why, but I'm still generally interested in zombies. So Army of the Dead had my number. This is Las Vegas, outbreak, zombie outbreak. Really not much of an explanation given for why there's a zombie outbreak. Not a lot of explanation for what the exact cause is of the, the zombie outbreak. You, you do see the, the original spreader of zombieism or whatever you want to call it, but you don't really get an understanding of where it came from, why it's happening, um, but you're just thrown into the mix and that's fine for this kind of a movie. Thrown into the action, you've got Las Vegas surrounded by large trucking shipping containers the military tried to defeat the zombies, realized they couldn't do it. So what they basically did is they turned it into, for those of you old enough to remember, Escape from New York. They basically said, let them have it. Escape from New York, they said, let the criminals have it. Put more pr prisoners in there, in the city of New York. Well, the equivalent sort of like zombies here, I don't think they added any more zombies to Las Vegas. And I, I wasn't really clear if the zombie outbreak had spread beyond Las Vegas but it seemed like it hadn't. It had been isolated in Vegas, but you've got millions of zombies now trapped inside the confines of Las Vegas in which seems to me to be months, but I'm not 100% certain of that. Anyway, not a lot of explanation in this movie, just kind of thrown in. Not a lot of character development, but a really, really interesting, action-packed, fun, gross, little bit of humor in the movie. Tig Notaro plays a helicopter pilot. Super interesting. Her, her scenes were all added after they had already made the film. The actor who played that character originally has turned out to be a real piece of work in the sense that he has been accused of sexual harassment multiple times and doing some very, very perverted and disturbing things to young women. So he was blacklisted from the film and seem to be blacklisted from entertainment in general. Uh, I don't know all the facts of the of the story, but they brought in Tig Notaro to take over his role. And leading up to the film, I thought maybe Notaro would be in the film for a few minutes, would fly the helicopter around, and that'd be it. Because she was talking in an interview about how she had how she had done all of her scenes with only a crew. She she didn't meet the cast. She interacted with green screen. And they put up blue tape for where she should look. And they did all kinds of things that were really pretty impressive. Because when you watch the film, and I highly recommend the film, when you watch the film, you could never tell. And she is in it a lot more than I thought she would be. She's running alongside the rest of the characters as this group of mercenaries tries to get into Las Vegas, into one of the casinos to grab, I think, $50 million in cash that was just abandoned when the zombie outbreak happened. There is a tight timeline in the film though because the US government has decided to drop a nuclear bomb on Las Vegas to annihilate the zombies. So this group of mercenaries is hired to go in, get the cash and get out. There's a little bit more detail to it than that, but this is not, um, you know, this is not, tenant or, or some kind of complicated plot that you have to follow. It's very straightforward. I compare it to the road warrior. It's just, let's go, let's get some action and let's go. Here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. Let's go. You're not going to see a lot of 
character development like you might see in Schitt's Creek or or uh, The Bad Batch, both fantastic shows. It's hard for me to compare Schitt's Creek to Bad Batch. Bad Batch is very new. It's part of the Star Wars universe and is a detailed story and focus on the clones who, in, in the Star Wars saga, the clones who, during Order 66, when all the clones of the galaxy turned against their Jedis and basically brought the Empire to power, these clones did not do that. They did not follow Order 66, and they are all mutated clones in the sense that they have some each have some special, unique, individual powers. Um, not like X-Men or, or superheroes, but you know, super strength, they're larger than others maybe, uh, uh, a better sharpshooter. These characters are, are very complicated and very interesting in the sense that they are loyal to their fellow clones, but they are also not following orders directly like other clones might. Super interesting, very complicated. I have long been very interested in the in the character of clones as a very tragic figure in the Star Wars saga. These humans who are built to be loyal soldiers and loyal to their Jedi commanders are in one second turned against their Jedi commanders and usher in exactly the enemy that they were trying to defeat. Really complicated, super interesting stuff. Bad Batch is an excellent program. It's an animated series. I think there's been three episodes so far. Army of the Dead is not that. It is not complicated. It is not uh, full of much, let's say, moral ambiguity. But it's damn fun. It's damn good. If you like things like John Wick, if you like things like The Road Warrior, you're going to really enjoy this movie. And especially if you have a real interest in zombie stuff. Really good, good stuff. Um, and and to go back to Schitt's Creek, same kind of thing. You're, you're not going to see characters developed over time in which you are conflicted in your feelings for them. At one moment, you think they're very simple and shallow, and then they do something that seems natural and it and it's earned, but they do something that's completely different than what your initial perception was. And I think that's part of what makes Schitt's Creek so good is from... From episode to episode, you're getting more depth about characters. And a lot of shows wouldn't even spend much time developing side characters like Schitt's Creek does. That is one of the great television programs of all time. Um, a few minutes ago, I randomly heard a... I was listening to, I think, an 80s pop mix. And Simply the Best by Tina Turner came on. And I'll... I swear to you, don't don't tell anybody this. Um, I got a little misty-eyed. I did, because in Schitt's Creek, there is a scene in which that song is used to, to such incredible emotional effect. Um, it's pretty powerful. So I never thought I would say that about a Tina Turner song. But um, if you haven't seen the show, highly recommend it. it, is, it is, uh, it's a slow burn, but it is well worth it. It's a fantastic program. Something else that's on my mind right now um, is this show Vikings been out for a while I think it's on like it's fifth season we just started watching it randomly not a very interesting story of how we came across it but we started watching it and there's one problem with the show though I like it a lot I've watched two episodes really like it really interested it reminds me a lot of Game of Thrones there's a certain amount of magical realism but not in any way that's like people shooting rockets out of their hands or lasers out of their eyes or any stupid crap like that if you listen to this show for a while or continue to listen to it going forward, 
you'll realize I am not a big fan of the metaphysical in the sense of, of magic. Um, I do like medieval. I do like Game of Thrones. I do like Lord of the Rings. But when we get into magic, I kind of shut down. It's not my jam. Not mad at you if you like it, but it's not my jam. Anyway, Vikings is very cool in that way in that the people do believe in magic. They do have their religious beliefs. They do have their beliefs in the supernatural. But it doesn't really infuse the show in a way that makes me say, this is not realistic. That, that, that person cannot possess an eagle and fly through the sky, as you might see in Game of Thrones or something like that. But there's one problem in Vikings. Very often there are crows used as symbols. And if you've seen Schitt's Creek, you know that one of the main characters, Moira Rose, is an actress within the show, um, playing an actress in the show, who is in a terrible series of films about crows. And there are all kinds of scenes from that throughout Schitt's Creek, especially towards the, the latter seasons. And it's super silly, hilarious. But in Vikings, they're using crows as a very serious symbol. And I can't help but laugh every time I see them because it's so earnest, it's so serious. And I think back to Schitt's Creek and how just ridiculous the use of crows was. So Army of the Dead, highly recommend. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Come to my Facebook and, and tell me what you think. Uh, rhetorical Questions with Nick on Facebook. Another movie we recently watched, nothing to do with zombies that I can remember. No, nothing to do with zombies. Uh, on HBO Max was Those Who Wish Me Dead, Angelina Jolie film. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, who also is the, the guy behind Yellowstone. If you've listened to the show in the past, you know that I, I am a big fan of the program Yellowstone. Really well done, really beautiful scenery up in Montana. Um, and great acting. Kevin Costner is fantastic in it. The, the whole, the writing of the show, the directing of the show, the cinematography, the music, everything's fantastic. And everything that I like about that show is translated into this, this show, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Angelina Jolie in the film is a... Is a uh, smoke jumper firefighter in the wilds of Montana and she's had a, a certain amount of trauma in her life and she's trying to get over it they send her up to a smoke tower to kind of be in isolation and she's supposed to be the lookout for fires in the area meanwhile there is a if you ever remember the film witness starring uh, Harrison Ford there's a there's a, a child who has seen something or has knowledge that he's not supposed to have about some organized crime and has to go on, uh, go into hiding in kind of an unusual place. So anyway, this kid from Florida in, in Those Who Wish Me Dead ends up in Montana under the protection of Angelina Jolie as some really bad hitmen are on his tail. And the film is just action-packed, beautifully shot. The music is great. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's on HBO Max right now. I also believe it's in movie theaters which is great that this has been a, a one positive development out of COVID is that more and more films are being shown at home as well as at the theater so you have the choice. And I am one of those nerds who had to go see Army of the Dead in the theater. So it, it's in the theater right now, uh, we're May 20th. It comes out on Netflix as part of our subscription on May 21st. I had to go see it last night though, I couldn't wait. I had it in my head that it was already on Netflix I got all ready to watch it and then realized it doesn't come out till Friday on Netflix, but it's playing at the Alamo Draft House down the street from my house. I'm going, damn it. Don't regret it at all. Oddly, though, the last time I went to a movie by myself was another one of my favorite films, 
and I will say is a far superior film to Army of the Dead, but it is also zombie-related. World War Z, starring Brad Pitt. One of my favorite films of all time, uh, whatever genre, horror, action, comedy, science fiction, whatever. One of my top 10 films of all time. I think it's incredibly interesting and very, very well done. But that was the last time I went to the movies by myself. I think I went on a, on a Saturday at like 11 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't wait to see the film to find somebody else to go with me. Um, and being the social pariah that I am, I didn't have a date at the time. Um, so I went and saw the film. I think it was prior to our son's birth, so he wouldn't have gone with me anyway. I would not recommend Army of the Dead to a 12-year-old. World War Z, I think you can get away with. I think it's, it's a little bit less uh, shock value. There's a lot of just shocking, gross stuff in Army of the Dead. It's kind of fun. Reminds me of some Sam Raimi stuff, but a lot better. I'm not a big fan of Sam Raimi. Uh, but check out Army of the Dead. You'll dig it. But going back to my point about World War Z and going to the movies by myself. One of the strange things about going to see Army of the Dead last night was I was literally the only patron in the movie theater. So take your zombie movie, a little bit creepy already, lots of jump scares, and I'm sitting in a movie theater all by myself. Very weird, <laughs> very creepy. Uh, I thought about taking my pants off just because I could. I didn't, don't worry. You'll never know though. Um, and going to the movies by yourself is a strange thing. To be in a movie theater all by yourself is definitely strange. But I don't know what it is about going to a movie by yourself that seems socially odd because it does there's no doubt about it You're supposed to have a date would love to have taken my wife she has no interest in zombie films and that's fine i get it they're gross it's weird it's disturbing i'm not going to force anybody to go watch a zombie movie with me but i'm also not going to not go see it because i don't have anyone to go with so why do you think it's weird to go to the movies by yourself if you got an opinion on that again come to my facebook rhetorical questions with Nick. Let's start a conversation. This doesn't just have to be me talking at you, although, hey, I've got plenty to say. Reading a book by yourself isn't weird. Listening to music by yourself isn't weird. Went to a concert once by myself. That was a little bit weird, but everybody's collectively together and you make friends around you. I went and saw Arcade Fire several years ago here in Phoenix by myself because nobody else wanted to go and I was not going to miss the opportunity to see Arcade Fire. I absolutely love Arcade Fire. That was during the uh, uh, Suburbs, I believe, uh, tour. But their latest stuff is great too and I continue to keep up with them even though, like I do with many things, I have a history of hating things that I eventually turn out to love. Arcade Fire is no different. Hated them. Really thought they were just terrible and weird and avant-garde and I'm not into it. I don't want to listen to them. But I kept reading about them in Rolling Stone magazine, or I would hear music critics talk about what a fantastic band that they were. So I, I kept trying. I listened to The Suburbs five or six times back to back one day while I was working. By the end of the day, I, was, I got it. I understood the complexity and the, um, the knowledge that they have of traditional music while also pushing the boundaries of what you can do with contemporary music. So I'm a huge fan of Arcade Fire. But going to a concert by myself, also a little bit strange, but still not as strange as going to a movie by myself. Um, going to a restaurant by myself, fairly normal. 
haven't done it as much as I've probably gone to restaurants with other people, but for some reason going to a movie solo. Strange. But totally worth it. Army of the Dead is fantastic. So now that we can go back to movie theaters, the last movie I had seen in the theater was Empire Strikes Back. That was last year. They did a 25th anniversary viewing of it at Alamo. And Jackson, my son, and I went. And we were socially distanced from other patrons. We had to wear a mask while we were in the theater and we weren't eating or drinking. Now it was no mask at all. The employees were still wearing a mask. I wasn't wearing a mask. I've been vaccinated. Totally comfortable being in an inside space with no mask on. But now we're getting back more and more to normal. Going to a movie, totally normal. Going by yourself, not so normal. But just going to a movie. Next thing that I'm going to chart up as a, uh, a return to normalcy will be, well, there's two things. Going to a professional sporting event and going to a concert. And if I have to choose one or the other, concert all the way. I love sports. I love sporting events. But I always feel that when you leave a sporting event, you are inevitably surrounded by a disappointed group of people or you are disappointed and you're surrounded by elated people. If you go to a concert, 99 times out of 100, everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. By the end of the show, everybody has that adrenaline going. You're sweating from dancing. You've got the uh, energy of that whole room and all those people together collectively celebrating the artists that you all love. So live concerts, live music, some of the best, best experiences of my life. And I'm really, really excited that live music is coming back. There have been a few shows um, that have been streamed online. So you've got people like Dave Matthews doing things uh, from home. Bruce Springsteen for a while was doing a, a, a stream from home where you could you could watch him play. Um, Dave was even taking requests for music that he should play at home. Brad Paisley did a similar kind of thing. Uh, Thomas Rhett did a similar kind of thing. So people have been doing this, and you can also get your fix of live music on The Voice or on uh, American Idol or various shows like that. Cool, but not the same. Getting a little bit closer right now, on Friday, May 21st, 21 Pilots is doing a live stream concert from within a arena in Ohio. I don't know if there's going to be an audience there, but they are selling tickets to get entry to do the live stream on their website. I think it's a great idea. This opens up a lot of territory for artists in the sense that, you know, any, any stadium that you're in is going to have a finite number of seats and a finite number of tickets. But if you open up buying a ticket to the entire world, you could have hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, at your concert from their home. So I honestly am hoping that this becomes a trend that continues. I know that they're not the first ones to actually do something like this, but I hope it becomes a more popular trend. I will always prefer to be in the room at the concert if it's a band I really like. But if it's a band I've never seen before, or I'm kind of indifferent to, or I don't even have the choice of going, let's say they're playing in Brazil and I'm here in Phoenix, I'd love the opportunity to watch the, the live show. And even if you catch a concert on YouTube or some other streaming service after the fact on demand, still not the same as seeing it live for the first time. There's something about that authenticity. 
of knowing that it's actually happening right now that makes it extra exciting. Exciting. So looking forward to this 21 pilot show. It's probably going to be more than just a concert of them playing music. There will be some pyrotechnic elements and some special effect elements. Uh, the light show will be amazing. We've seen them twice in concert and they put on a damn good show. I would say that to continue with my history of hating things at first, the first song I ever heard by them was Stressed Out and did not like it. I thought it was repetitive. I didn't listen to the lyrics, didn't really connect it to anything else. But my son continued to listen to them. My wife was also a fan of theirs and I just couldn't help but be surrounded by it. And Jackson kept telling me about the lyrics of the songs are more than what they appear to be. There is a concept behind all of their albums. Much of what Tyler Joseph talks about are struggles with mental illness, depression, insecurity, things that just about all of us can relate to. But he does it in a way that's also catchy, entertaining, has elements of pop and rock and hip hop in it. Really unique band. And and again, a band I probably wouldn't like if it was just up to me, but I was surrounded by them and then finally decided, hey, Jackson wants to go see them live. I'll go as well. First time I saw them, I'm now I'm I'm a true fan. I am a true fan. I love all of their music, just about. And I would see them in a heartbeat. They're one of the best bands I've ever seen live. Um, another of the best bands I've ever seen live, radically different than 21 Pilots, is The Grateful Dead. Uh, the Grateful Dead, to me, is the epitome of, of live rock concert. It's not about pyrotechnics. It's, it's not about a light show. It's, it's not about visual special effects. It's about playing music. And 21 Pilots, Grateful Dead, radically different, but I enjoy them both very, very much. I just really enjoy the fact that The Grateful Dead will improvise in front of a crowd of 50,000 people. That they will take risks in front of a group of people and they will enjoy themselves playing music as if they were a garage band or playing at a bar down the street. The, 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 the musical commitment was always what was so impressive. And just like the point I said about Arcade Fire, their knowledge of traditional music but their innovation with their own style and own artistic input, just fantastic, really fantastic. Uh, Grateful Dead, you'll hear Johnny Cash songs, you'll hear Waylon Jennings, you'll hear traditional songs that that maybe don't have uh, uh, artists attributed to them because they're so old and they've been around forever. And the Grateful Dead will play those songs in their own style alongside their own original compositions, alongside Bob Dylan songs, alongside songs by The Who. Now, obviously, The Grateful Dead are gone. The incomparable Jerry Garcia passed away in 1995, which is just crazy for me to think about. It seems like it was yesterday. But Dead and Company are now back on tour. And John Mayer is their guitarist, um, brings the average age of the band down considerably. I, I don't think John Mayer can be more than 40 years old. Uh, Bob Weir's in his 70, 70s, Mickey Hart, Bill Kreutzmann. These guys are, are, you know, getting up there and they're still jamming. They're still doing what they did back in the 70s and 80s when Jerry Garcia was part of the band, still playing these great songs. I don't know if they'll ever come up with original songs. They're sort of giving their listeners what they want, which is play the hits. Well, the Grateful Dead don't really have many hits, but they do have hundreds and hundreds of songs that people are familiar with, that people love. And every time those songs are played, they're played a little bit differently. 
Another band that I'm really excited to see, and I haven't heard anything about them going back on tour, is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I don't know how many more tours they have in in, in them, uh, but the last time we saw Bruce, he was killing it. And that was probably three years ago. Couldn't have been a better show. Same kind of thing with The Grateful Dead. This is about playing music. Now, Bruce is a little bit more of a ham. He's going to talk to the crowd. He's got a little show that he does, kind of like a James Brown style kind of thing, where he really is a showman. But he's also a, a fantastic musician, fantastic guitarist, and an American treasure as far as being a great songwriter. So Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, hopefully they're coming back around one of these days. But uh, 21 Pilots this Friday is going to be fun. Dead & Company are going on tour. They'll be here in Phoenix October 25th. Tickets, I believe, go on sale tomorrow, so we will be getting some of those. We've also got uh, the Hella Mega Tour coming up, which is, you know, I'm imagining as an ironic name, kind of silly on purpose, uh, but Weezer, Green Day, and Fallout Boy, going to be a great show. Uh, we were supposed to go last year at Petco Park in San Diego. Obviously, that got postponed and pushed out, and we will be going to that in August um, if, if all goes well. They'll be in San Diego then. So we got movies, we got TV shows, we got music, not spending a lot of time today on politics, though there, there are things to talk about. Uh, obviously, Biden has been president now for several months. Some people still doubt that he is the legitimate president, and those people are idiots. Uh, Trump continues to talk about the big lie, which is that he's actually the legitimate president. What does hearten me, though, is seeing that there are Republicans within Arizona who are critiquing this audit process that has been ordered by certain members of the Republican Party in, in Arizona to audit the results of the election that took place in November. What exactly they're trying to accomplish is pretty clear. It's stupid, but it's, it's pretty clear. They are trying to impress Donald Trump. Um, like many Republicans throughout the country, and I'm using Republicans maybe with a lowercase r, um, maybe they're Trumpublicans, they seem to be destroying their own party for the sake of loyalty to Donald Trump, who seems to be destroying the party. Donald Trump could have easily become the president again if he had tried to reach out just a little bit to people outside of his base. Joe Biden is not a great candidate, but Donald Trump united the entire country. Not the entire country. You know what I mean. He united a bunch of people against him. Very few people were voting for Joe Biden. Most of us were voting against Donald Trump. Would have been very easy for Trump to have won, but trying to appeal to people outside of his base would be completely off-brand. So here we are, seven months after the election, five months after the inauguration, and still there are people saying that Donald Trump won the election with no credible evidence and tons of credible sources saying, this is ridiculous, including some Republicans. But those Republicans, like Liz Cheney, get punished for speaking out and speaking the truth, that there is no there there to this big lie. It is a conspiracy theory of the highest magnitude that is honestly quite disturbing that it has caught on with so many people. Uh, but that is the cult of personality. It is not a surprise. It has been part of human history for a very, very long time. And social media has just exacerbated the problem, along with capitalism, because tons of people are making lots of money 
off of continuing to support this big lie, whether they believe it or not. I mean, I don't even know if Trump believes it, but he knows that it garners him support, so why not? When you're a sociopath and you have no conscience, that seems like a reasonable thing to do, is I don't care if I believe this or not, I am just going to continue to get support from the people who love me. That's, folks, what we call a cult. But one of the things that we haven't talked about in pop culture is uh, we went through movies, TV shows, books, next. We talked about music as well. Um, Right now I'm reading a book, The Given Day, by Dennis Lehane. And if any of you are familiar with Dennis Lehane, but a lot of his books have been turned into movies, uh, including... um, Mystic River, Gone Baby Gone, Shutter Island, Live by Night, which was not a great movie, apparently. I haven't seen it, actually, um, but terrible reviews. Ben Affleck film. Book is fantastic, though. Uh, Everything I've read by Dennis Lehane is really, really good. Some better than others, but I definitely recommend his writing. Um, If you've seen any of those films that I've mentioned, you know that he has a real knack for creating morally ambiguous situations and ethical challenges in a way that are very grounded in in familiarity. Even though most of his stories are about either private detectives or police officers, um, he just has a real knack of, or a real skill, I should say, at creating believable characters in situations where... The right thing to do becomes very, very difficult to identify. His writing is very much like real life. I can't say that he is an innovative prose stylist in the sense that William Faulkner, Virginia Woolf, Toni Morrison are, but his writing can be quite beautiful, quite insightful, and his, his insights about race are extraordinarily honest and deep. So this latest book is set in 1918 in Boston for the most part. And one of the main, one of the the significant characters, if not main characters, is Babe Ruth. And if you have any interest in baseball, history of baseball, I highly recommend this book, although it's not the focus of it. It does give you a snapshot of the racial divide in America and how that is reflected in um, sports. But the book also delves a lot into the flu of 1918. And this book was not written crazy recently. But the discussion of people wearing masks in public. Yeah, the, the book is written, uh, was published in 2008. Yeah. So when, you, when you're reading it, when I'm reading it, and there's descriptions of sick people and, um, you know, makeshift hospitals being set up because the hospitals are overrun and people wearing masks in public and some people not getting sick at all, other people getting so sick that they die. Uh, People with underlying conditions being particularly susceptible, millions of people dying in a very short amount of time. The echoes of 2020 and 2021, uh, you can't help but, but but see them. And when people talk about how the pandemic is a hoax, our current pandemic is a hoax, again, it's just like the cult of personality with Trump. These aren't unique things. 
It's not like we've never had an outbreak of a disease that killed millions of people. This is a real thing. It's happened before. It will happen again. Not everything is about political manipulation. So really fascinating how Lehane dives into the uh, some of the psychology of the pandemic, the flu pandemic of 1918, but really also very interesting. I had never known, I, of course I'd heard in passing, but one of the powers of, of novels and, and, and fiction in general, whether it's film or, or, or novels or poetry or, or lyrics to songs, you can get a sense of something that you would not necessarily get from a historically accurate academic book. And as he's writing about the challenges of the early 20th century related to anarchy and related to immigration and related to um, labor unions. A lot of the emphasis of this book is on the Boston police and their efforts to unionize because for forever, the police officers were working 70 hour weeks or working at uh, poverty pay or working in unhygienic situations. And he dives into characters and explores their perspective on those situations and why they would be attracted to unionizing. Problem is that back then, just as now, a good cause can be manipulated and cast in a certain light within the media. So these groups of people, whether they're mechanics, plumbers, firefighters, or police officers, as soon as they start to want to unionize and stand up for their rights, they are labeled as Bolsheviks, as anarchists, as communists, as traitors to America, and are treated as such very often by the media and some people who are less aware of what they're actually arguing for. So very black and white kind of thing. And very interesting, very upsetting, in a very engaging way. It's another reminder of how throughout history, there is always some kind of, of enemy. The, in that case, it's the communists or the anarchists who are there to destroy America because poor people want to have a little bit more income. When in reality, much of it is about keeping the powerful in power and they don't want to give an inch. Um, similar kind of things today where, where you, know, you may have some people arguing that the minimum wage should be higher or people should get more paid time off or people should get health care uh, as a right. And then you have other people, typically the very rich, very powerful, manipulating that into being that's un-American, that's an indication of laziness, that's not how we do things here, that infringes upon our rights. All kinds of way of manipulating the actual argument, which is usually much more nuanced than what we might believe without having direct, in-depth knowledge of the situation. So I guess what I'm saying here is, I'm making a plea for reasonableness, exploring ideas from the perspective of the people who hold them rather than condemning them as terrible. Because very often we get caught up in condemning people for their ideas as terrible. We are really just funding or exasperating a problem that existed before, which is the 1% of our power is consolidated. Well, let me put this another way. 90% of our power is consolidated with 1% of our population. The wealthy, the politically powerful, often even the famous. How can I keep my power and keep you from getting any of it? 
And this book is really an interesting exploration of that from the perspective of a police officer, but also of a African-American man who is on the run from Tulsa who comes to, to Boston and sees a completely different way of life and interacting with white people from what his, he was used to in Oklahoma. However, many of the problems are exactly the same, just in a little bit different perspective. The racism in the North is something that does not get explored all that often in popular culture. It's labels as if the South is the, the source of all racism, but there's plenty of racism in 1918 Boston. Just like there's plenty of racism in Phoenix, Arizona in 2021. Reasonableness, complexity, all things that I'm arguing for today, except when it comes to Army of the Dead. Simple, straightforward, fun, big, dumb, gross, fun. All right, folks, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, please visit me at uh, Rhetorical Questions with Nick on my Facebook, and uh, I'll see you again. Actually, I won't see you again. I'll uh, talk to you again real soon, and we will have a Another cold one together. Cheers, y'all.